pray as we begin today. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to open the scripture, to look at the book of Hebrews, to, re- to hear what you might be saying to us today. And God, I pray as we look at the stories of those from long ago and reflect on, on the faith that they had, that you would strengthen our own faith, that you would help us to understand what it means to trust you and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been looking at during this season of mission at the life of the early church. We've been going through the book of Hebrews, um, written to Jewish believers in very difficult times, and Jesus is better than. That's the theme that keeps happening. You know, the Jewish believers are kind of reverting back to their old practices in Judaism, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than that. What you have is better than what you're going back to. And our, our text today is chapter 11. It's probably one of the most famous parts of Hebrews. It's, it's the Faith Hall of Fame. It's this story of everything that happened all throughout uh, the history of the Bible, and it's long. I do want to read the whole chapter, and then we'll dig in. But let's start at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 to 40. Let's see if I can say all these names. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become father, a father because he considered himself him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, And therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. (coughs) By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. 
And by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only to, together with us would they be made perfect. Now, it's a long passage with a lot of history and names. It's kind of like going to your grandma's house and walking down the hallway and looking at all the pictures of people that you've never met, but grandma has a story about every single one of them right? That's kind of what's happening in this passage. And there's something that ties all these stories together. So as, as we look at that once again, as we look at this chapter, remember the context. We often read this chapter separately or chunks out of it. And by faith, by faith, it's this heroes of the, of, 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 of the faith, this hall of fame. But the question we need to ask when we look at the context is why here? Why tell all these stories here in this book at this place? And if you think of the overall context of the book, it makes perfect sense because Hebrews was written to what we've said over and over, Jewish believers in difficult times. The writer's reminding them of their heritage. He's telling them about everything that's gone on before them. Because, you know, when we run into these challenges, when we run into difficulties, we often forget what's gone before. We're so focused in the moment and the difficulty and the suffering that we forget. In Hebrews 10, he writes, Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering? Sometimes, he says, you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You see, they, they were in these challenging times. In fact, the, the last part of the description that I just read in chapter 11 is what's happening now to people they know who are believers. They're destitute. They're being persecuted. 
There's suffering. And, and when life is hard, we all get tempted by the tangible and the known. We want to go back to something that we can do, something that we feel gives us some sense of control. We cling to what we've clung to in the past when times get hard. We don't like taking risks. So we go back to something that makes us comfortable. And that's what's happening here. These, these people that the book's been written to have decided to follow Jesus. They've, they've, they're Jewish people and they've said, no, we're going to follow Jesus. And when life gets hard, they start going back to their Jewish practices because it's what they feel comfortable with. And that's why there's warnings all throughout the book. In chapter 2, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. In chapter 3, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In chapter 4, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Every section where it says Jesus is greater than, there's a warning. Don't go back to the old way. And what they're doing is because what they're believing doesn't appear to be working is they're trying harder. They're adding things back in. They're, they're thinking about the sacrifices again. They're thinking about all these different things they've done as Jewish rituals in order to keep God happy. And they're, they're leaning back into that. And, and in the middle of this, there's this story of faith. Because the writer is giving them the reminders that Jesus is greater over and over. He's saying, you know what? What you're holding on to is not the practices, it's Jesus. Trust, trust, he says, that's what your Jewish ancestors did when times got difficult. They trusted that God was going to be faithful to do what he said. He says, you have to know the promises that you have received are greater in chapter 1. So he, Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And over in chapter 7, the former regulation that you held to was set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. What, what you used to cling to is not as good as what's been introduced. And in verse 8, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises. See, what he's saying to these people in the middle of the story, because times have gotten tough and they've run back to what they used to believe and trying to base their life on that, he's saying, hang on, let me tell you about people that trusted. And he starts by defining and illustrating faith. Now, faith is a really, really tricky word. I heard about a Sunday school kid who was asked, what's faith? And he said, faith is believing in something that you know isn't true. <laughs> and I like that because sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Faith is believing in something that you know isn't true. We all chuckle at that. But living out faith can be really tricky because it's not knowing for sure. It's trusting in something that you, you can't see. And the writer of the book of Hebrews helps us by defining faith. He starts in verse 1 by saying it's a sure and certain, being sure and certain of our unseen hope. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, he's saying there's something that as followers of Jesus we hope for, something that we believe in, a promise that we have been made and yet we can't see it. That's why you're suffering. You can't see the fulfillment of the promise. And it's the word for faith is, the Greek word is pistis. It's bigger than just mentally believing. 
It's, you know, like you guys believe two plus two is what? Four. We all believe that. Mentally, we assent to that fact. We agree with that. Um, but, but faith, pistis, that Greek word, is, is actually, it, it, it includes action. It's like a trusting. It's like putting, one of the ways people have described it is like sitting on a chair. If you have a chair, you know the chair is going to hold you mentally. But when you actually put your weight on it, that's what faith is. Now, I like that analogy, um, but, but I think it's kind of boring. So I'm going to ask Carrie if she will come up here. And Carrie's going to help me with another analogy that's a little more exciting and thrilling. <laughs> Carrie's the one that always says yes to this kind of stuff. <laughs> All right, Carrie, what I want you to do, I want you to blindfold yourself. Can okay. you do that? I can tie it in the back. If, if you can tie it, tie it. Good. Okay, and I'm going to get this mic in case I need to interview you. Is that good? Uh, almost. How many, how many fingers am I holding? <laughs> See how willing to... Who would do this? Who gets up and does this when I ask the See, kidding. but guys, he didn't exactly tell me what I was doing. <laughs> All right. This is not a good one. This is not a good blindfold? Hold it. Just hold it over your eyes. Is that better now? That's why I asked her to do it. Hey, way to go. Is that better? Yeah. That's better. Okay. okay. Close your, close your eyes in there. Okay. How are you feeling? Yep. You feeling good? Okay. What we're going to do is I'm going to guide you around the stage. Okay? And you're just going to listen to me and trust that I'm not going to make you fall off the stage or run into the drums. Can you do that? Yes. Okay. So why don't you take three steps forward? <laughs> How's that feel? Uh, um, hesitant. Hesitant, okay. Why don't you turn 180 degrees in the other direction? Okay. Now I want you to take one really, really, really big step. Okay, I know that I came this way. So That's right. Be okay. Okay, what about taking another really, really, really big step? Okay, I'm imagining the stage. <laughs> okay. I think I have that much space. Okay, now I want you to uh, turn 90 degrees to your right. Okay, I want you to take two medium-sized steps. Okay, the stairs are over there. There, 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 there are there, yes. I won't let you go off the stairs, okay. okay? All right, and now I want you to take another 90 degrees to your right. Okay. And I want you to take three really big steps okay. over toward the sound of my voice. Okay, I know the pulpit's here somewhere. It's somewhere, but you can trust me. I won't let yeah, you hit it. Three yeah, really big yeah. steps, okay? <laughs> my feet feel funny. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now I want you to turn back to where you think the stairs are. Where do you think the stairs are? Okay, good. Good, that's really, really good. Now what I want you to do, Carrie, really carefully, is I want you to sit down. Okay? I want you to sit down just like there's a chair behind you. <laughs> All right. Now, how did that, you can take your blindfold off now. I want you to hold this. And you, How did that feel when you sat down? Did you know there was a chair there? So I was like, but if I sit down, I know the floor is there. So, right. okay. you know, at least that's going to okay. be safe. But it was a yeah. little scary? Yeah. I mean, the walking was, was scarier for me. Than the sitting? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Let's give Carrie a big hand of applause. Thank you, Carrie. Yeah, that's what happens if you answer a text from me during the week. <laughs> See, I like that better because... Like, like sitting in a chair and knowing it's going to hold you is one thing, but actually walking around blindfolded when there's some danger. That's a way better example of that word pistis, that, 
that I'm, I'm taking action. And one of the things I want you to realize about faith, we often think of faith as powerful confidence. I have faith, right? Uh, and Carrie's taking steps, right? She's, she, she's kind of confident. I, I think sometimes we picture faith in our mind as this powerful confidence when, when really a lot of times faith is tentative willingness. Tentative willingness, it's, it's, it's okay, I'm here, Jeff's telling me to sit down, I know there's a floor there, so I, I don't really want to sit on the floor in front of people, but I'll sit down. It's, she was willing to do this, and that's what, that's what faith is. There's, there's this idea of action, that I, I don't really know what's coming, but I'm going to do it, I'm willing may not be boldly confident. Like you didn't see Carrie running around up here. You didn't see her, you know, even when I said sit down, it was kind of, okay, right? She's trying to find something back there. Uh, but it, but it was, she was willing, because of her relationship of trust with me, to do something, even though it didn't necessarily, she didn't necessarily know how it was going to turn out. See, it's, it's being sure of what we hope for and confident of what we do not see, being sure enough and confident enough to act in that moment. And the writer continues, he says, faith is central to everything. Verse 3, he says, faith is what helps us understand that, that God is behind everything that we see, that, that somehow God made all this out of nothing. We, we believe that. We, can't, we don't know that for sure. We don't have the National Geographic documentary about the creation of the world, but we know God's behind it. We, we believe that by faith. Verse 4, faith is what helped Abel be faithful to God. He trusted that what, what God said was true. And, and what's amazing is his, he still speaks, even though he's dead, by faith. And Enoch, it's talking about Enoch. Enoch is a fascinating guy. We don't know a lot about him. He's, only, he's mentioned 12 times in the Bible, but 10 of those are in a list of genealogy. All we really know about him at the, at the end of Genesis 5, 18 to 24, it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. What does that mean? Enoch walked faithfully with God, but he wasn't. Well, here he says, by faith we know that God, he didn't die. God took him up. Now, do we know that? No, but we trust, even though we can't see it. He says, this is what the ancients were commended for. This is what your, your past has based life on. And I would actually say, you know, everything in our life is based on faith. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But, but we have to trust in something. Very often, though, our faith is placed in ourselves and our ability to do whatever needs to be done instead of resting in God. Faith is central to everything. In fact, in verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You know, this whole idea of faith is vital because if God is God, and I think He is, <laughs> there's always going to be more that we don't know about Him than we do know. He's bigger than us. He's, he, he understands things we can't even comprehend. There's always going to be this huge gap of knowledge when our minds come to thinking about God. So faith is necessary. We're going to have to trust that what he says is true, even though we don't see. He starts in verse 7, giving examples. Noah, you know, Noah earnestly sought the Lord, and God rewarded him for his faith. And then, and then the, the writer brings it back, because you remember what they're doing. They're in difficult times. They're reverting to their Jewish practices. 
And he begins to say, faith is a very Jewish thing, guys. Verses 8 to 12, the story of how the Jewish nation came to be, the whole story of Abraham and Sarah and all that happened. It was all by faith. It was Abraham trusting. Verses 17 to 40, how the Jewish nation would continue all throughout history by faith, by faith, by faith. You know, if you want to revert to something Jewish, he says, if you really want to go back and practice something Jewish, practice faith in the promises of God, because that's your heritage. That's what's behind you. And then in the middle of this, in verses 13 to 16, he, he puts this little paragraph about what faith looks like. In the middle of all this faith, as we saw it in history, you know, it's like one of those Canadian history moments where you get all these little vignettes, right? This day in Canadian history, or this is our heritage, heritage moments, that's what they were called. And in the middle of that, verse 13 to 16 gives us this little general description, which is actually very helpful because it, it highlights some of the characteristics that help us take faith from their life and see if it's actually in our life. What are these characteristics that can help us know if we're actually living by faith? First of all, faith doesn't fit the norm. It doesn't fit the norm. Look at verse 13. They admitted that they were strangers and aliens on this earth. If you live by faith, you will look different than the majority of people around you. Culture is different. Trusting in the way of thinking is different for an alien or a stranger. When Angela and I went to France uh, a couple months ago, one of the interesting things we noticed, this is, I think, Angela noticed it, and she told me, and so I noticed it too, because she's so smart, she told me. In, in France, at least where we were, we didn't go to Paris, but at least where we were, there, there were no travel mugs. Nobody. You go to Canada, people have got travel mugs in their car, you're walking through the mall, people have got their travel mug, their coffee on the go, right? How many of you have more than one travel mug in your house? Okay, right? I think we've got 7,000 in our house. But, but we looked everywhere. And, and in the shops, you can't buy them there. And we realized because in that part of France, coffee is something you sit down with somebody and drink. In a com you have a conversation with them. That's a cultural thing. And if, if we went in with our travel mug, <laughs> you know what they would say? You're not from around here. We used to say that growing up in North Carolina. Oh, he's not from around here, let me tell you. He doesn't know what he's... And, and that's, that's the thing. When you live by faith, people look at you and say, what? You don't fit. It's, it's not like you're from around here. When someone takes advantage of you, if you're living by faith, you'll forgive them. Because God said, you know what? I'll make it right. You're, you're to forgive the way you've been forgiven. And that looks really different to the world around you. The, the way you spend your money and your time will be different because God's called us to seek first His kingdom. Living by faith looks foreign to the world. It, it, it's, it's, it's different. As you grow in trusting what God says about you by faith, the opinions of other people will matter less to you in regards to your own identity. See, all these things, if you begin to live by faith, you will look different than the world around you. The same should be the true, that's what was true of them. They were aliens and strangers. Same should be true of us. Second thing is this, and this is where I think we, we sometimes forget this. Faith is filled with longing. It says in verse 16, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. For some reason we think faith is bold confidence and it's arrival, it's getting it all, it's we've got it all figured out. 
And yet, what we see from these people is they were longing for something that they hadn't gotten yet. In fact, we, we have this unsettled feeling and a longing for things to be made right, and we feel that's weak faith. Actually, that is a picture of something greater that you're longing for. Longing is a sign of faith. I love the C.S. Lewis quote. He says, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. You see, the deeper your faith grows, sometimes the more the sense of longing and discontent in the world becomes because you're looking for something different. The less content you are with the world as it is. We often think that longing is a lack of faith when actually maybe that's a sign that, that we really are looking for something greater. The longing is there and growing because third of all, faith does not settle. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they left, they could have returned. Instead, they were longing for a better one. See, this is where I think the difficult comes for me. I get really content in this world. I like my system. I like the way things work. And that, and that longing for the, for the world to be made better sometimes gets, gets settled. I get settled here. And that's what's happening with these Jewish believers is, is they're not that what's going. They want, they want to be settled here. They want to feel good here instead of longing for what's been promised. And so they revert to older ways, trying to earn their way back to God, trusting their own rituals and practices to make themselves feel better. You know, faith takes action in the world. It looks really foreign to the people <clears throat> around it. It's filled with longing and it refuses to settle. And, and I want to wrap up today looking at what your faith will actually do. If you start holding to faith in what God has promised, it, it, it becomes not something that you have. Do you have faith? But it becomes something that actually has you. Faith begins to have you. The very presence of faith in your life begins to transform you and change you. And that's the beauty of this whole idea is that faith in the promises of God makes us different than we are. Three things it does that I see in the text. First, faith inspires courage. In verse 23, talking about Moses' parents, they were not afraid. I love that in verse 23. Because they saw he was no ordinary boy. Every parent that has ever looked at their child has thought, that's no ordinary boy, right? It's no ordinary child. It's advanced. Did you see the way they rolled over? I bet kids don't do that. Yeah, that's funny. But it says they weren't afraid because they felt God, they trusted that God had something for their people. They weren't afraid. Again, in verse 27, Moses left Egypt not fearing the king's anger, not feeling free. One thing faith does, believing that something bigger is going on, it inspires you to act with courage. And it, and, and it does that because you're willing to act because you trust the one who is in control. 
Like I said, Carrie trusted me enough, crazy as it was, to sit down. She trusted me enough to let me lead her around here, not because she was so confident in her ability not to fall off the stage or not to run into something, but she was willing to trust that I would not let her do that. Right? And that's, that's what faith is with God. It inspires courage, not because we can solve these things, not because we're so good at what we do, not because we can fix it, not because we can survive, because we can be successful, because we have so many talents or gifts, but we can trust in the one who is with us. How do we live differently than the world around us? How do we love our enemies? How do we forgive those who wrong us? How do we sacrificially give our lives to something that others think is a waste of time? How do we do that? We do it because we trust that God, what he says is true, that he's with us. And and if we forgive somebody that's taking advantage of of us, he's going to take care of us. If we sacrifice and give to something that, that other people don't see the value in, we, we trust that God has said, I will take care of you. It inspires courage because we're not alone. I was reading back uh, again this week when just the transition from Moses to Joshua. And Moses says to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what inspires courage, not my ability to survive, not how good I am at this faith thing, but the fact that I'm not alone. The second thing faith always does is faith always leads to action. In verse 8, Abraham was told to go somewhere. He didn't know where it was, but it says in verse 8 that Abraham obeyed and went. Faith, Faith always is followed by action, true faith. James says in in James chapter 2, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Well, you show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. See, what James is saying is faith, deeds come right along with it. Your action and faith, you can't divorce the two. If there's faith, it will create action. My brother last week put a, a, a quote up on the screen. Thanks for being so nice to him. Um... By Thomas Chalmers, which I love. I love this quote. No one can dispossess the heart of an old affection but by the expulsive power of a new one. We love what seems desirable to us, thus we will only change what we love when something proves to be more desirable to us than what we already love. I will then always love sin and the world until I truly sense that Christ is better. What he's saying here is that when you actually believe When faith comes into your life and you believe that what God has said is true, that he loves you, that he gave his life for you, all of a sudden that becomes so beautiful that it can't help but change you. Because there's something that you love more than yourself. Faith leads to action because it replaces our old loves with a new love. We begin to trust in the fact that God loves us despite our weakness and our brokenness. And all of a sudden something changes in us. Faith will always lead to action. Paul, I'm, I'm, this, this, in Romans 1.8, or 1.5, he says, Through him and for his name's sake we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Not the obedience, obedience that comes from effort or obedience that comes from knowledge. It's, it's this trust that God is who he says he is that actually brings about obedience in your life. You know, in, in, in the moment when we make, <laughs> when we sin, 
when we turn away from God and do something to, to support ourselves, in that moment, the reality is we believe, we have faith in the fact that this will be better for us than what God is asking of us. That's what actually happens in that moment. Your faith says, this action will make me happy, will make me fulfilled, will bring me joy, more than God will. And if we can begin to, to realize that God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, that, that I love you, that, that I've given myself for you, once that becomes the object, when, and we can believe that, then all of a sudden we're willing to turn away from these other things and be transformed, be changed. You see, ultimately, faith will transform us. Look at verse 40, last verse of the chapter. God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Together with us, would they, all of those people in the chapter, be made perfect. See, this is the hope that we're sure of. This is the certain thing that we do not see, that God will make us new. He will make us perfect. He will make us like Jesus. In 1 John 3, John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Now, if we know that, what happens? It says, Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself. You're changed by believing that God has promised to complete the change in you. As we hold on to that hope and trust, we're changed. And we long for more. And maybe our faith is not bold confidence. Maybe, maybe it's, it's way more like tentative willingness. Okay, God, I'll go. I'm, I'm terrified, but I'll take this little step. What you curious? My feet feel weird. You ever feel that way about obeying God? Oh, my feet feel a little weird over here, God. I don't know if I can do this or not. That's faith. Tentative Willingness, But if you hold on to that, and if you can believe that God will, will complete His promises, that He actually loves you the way you are, that, that, that what He's promised is true, then you'll find courage, your loves will be reordered, that'll lead you to new actions, and one day, together with all those that we read about this morning, we will all be made perfect and new. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, that's, sometimes that's all I can hold on to in my life. When I blow it throughout the week, and I do repeatedly, and it's not just when I'm off the clock. Sometimes on my pastor hours, I even blow it on my pastor hours. But the, the thing I hold on to is that the, the one who started it has promised that he will finish it. And it sure isn't moving as fast as I think it should move. And it sure doesn't look like I think it should look. But he started it, and he said he'll finish it, and that's what gives me hope. It's not bold confidence, it's tentative willingness. So that's, that's the question for us today. Will we trust that what God has said is true? Will we follow where He leads? If you do that today and tomorrow and the next day, then you'll grow to feel more like a stranger in this world. Your longing for a different world will increase. You'll find yourself, let, you know that song, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glorious face. That's what will happen. As you grow in faith, the things here, you're like, ah, it's not as, not as, I love it. I love my family. I love everything here. But this world is not as enticing as it used to be because there's something so much better that I'm longing for. And if, as that transforms in you, you will be different so that one day, together with them, you will be made perfect by what Jesus has done on our behalf. Let's pray.
God, we want to, we, we really would like to be like the Rambo edition of faith. We would like to be bold and confident. And sometimes we are, and we're thankful for those moments when we just know. But in the moments when we're terrified and we don't see where you are, help us to be sure of what we hope for and confident of what we cannot see. And, and in that, God, help us to be changed, create longing in us for you and for the way you have the world planned to be. Give us the courage to trust. Even if it's just tentative willingness, help us to be willing to follow where you lead. Work in us and through us. And God, I I really believe that you have plans for this town. You have plans for people here who need to come to know you. For lives to be renewed, for a community to be transformed by the power of the gospel. We believe that. That's what we, we see as the vision for why we even exist. And God, we know you'll do it your way and your time, but we're going to hold to that. That you are a God who does renew lives. You are a God who transforms communities one by one by one. And we ask that you would do that in us. That you would guide us, lead us where you would have us to go and help us to be tentatively willing to follow so that we can remember how faithful you have been throughout our whole lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stay. One thing I'll ask you not to do is go away from this chapter and say, oh, I wish I was powerful in faith like all these guys. This is your homework. I dare you. I just double dog dare you (laughs) to go away and read the biblical stories of Abraham and Noah and all these guys that are mentioned as these great heroes of the faith, and see what the Bible says about how powerful their faith was all through their life. They messed up more than anybody. Abraham did some really stupid things. Noah had this great success of landing the ark, and then he got so drunk that he couldn't stand up. Right? There's, there's this, all these, we read this chapter, and we think, oh, I just wish I could do that. And what, what the chapter is saying is God takes losers, people that fail, that are willing to tentatively trust, and he uses them in ways that you cannot even imagine. And that's, that's where it starts with us. Broken as we are, tentatively willing to follow and trust that what God has said is true. That's my prayer for you this week. Amen. Amen.